Hey guys, back with another episode of the Unuseful Idiots. I've been uh, on a hiatus a little with everything that's going on. My work schedule changed a little and, you know, just with coronavirus and everything, uh, my house has been packed, so there's kind of been a hard time to try and find when to do this. But I have a very special guest today. Today we are joined by Larry Sharp. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to introduce him. I'll let him do that. So go ahead. Oh, you're making me do it. Fine. I'm Larry Sharp. Uh, I was the Libertarian gubernatorial candidate for New York. I'm a business uh, consultant, and I'm host of the Sharpway Show, and happy to be here. All right, cool. So, yeah, if you guys, I mean, when when did you run? You ran in 2017? I ran in 2018, 2018. 2018. Yeah, every four okay. years in New York State is when we do our governor um, uh, runs. And the most important reason for this specifically is New York State is very odd when it comes to ballot access. Uh, most states have some type of, type of percentage, right? You get X percent of this, X percent of that. We don't have that. In New York State, we're very specific. Um, it is 50,000 votes on the governor line only during a governor's election. That's it. If you get that or more, then you get ballot access for the next four years. Um, our Libertarian Party had never done that before. I was able to achieve that in 2018 to give us ballot access. As soon as that happened, New York State said, wait a minute, we can't have that. And they didn't change the rules. And they changed the rules now from 50,000 to 130,000 or 2%, whichever is higher. And in presidential elections, uh, they tend to, we get about, give or take 8 million New Yorkers will vote. So that means now we need 160,000 votes. So they uh, changed the rules once they saw me break those. Yeah, I mean, you see that all over the political spectrum. Sadly, uh, yes. You see that now with the presidential race, them changing stuff all the time. Yes. So Absolutely. They always, you know, the, the, the problem is when you have a populace who, who basically are stuck in a left-right paradigm, they don't see anything wrong with that. They see bipartisan as nonpartisan, right? And, and they're clearly right. different, but the public doesn't see that. Oh, well, it's bipartisan, therefore it's okay. Well, bipartisan doesn't mean nonpartisan. It means the two oligarchic parties. That's, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, Saddam Hussein won an election. Yeah, he does every time. So does the oligarchy every single time. Right. Yeah, it's... It's just crazy how, uh, you know, they can just change the rules and no one, no one really sees a problem with that. I, as long as it feels like it's bipartisan, most of the time people don't mind when the rules change again, because in their minds, it's fair, right? In their mind, it's fair, even if it isn't. They say, well, you know, in the election, you guys couldn't get in the ballot. You guys should have won. You, you guys are third party. You didn't win. So the concept that most people hear is they assume that ballot access is fair. 
They assume that the voting is fair. So if we don't win, it's because we don't deserve it. And if we vote something, that makes it okay. They seem to not remember at one point, we voted that women shouldn't vote. We voted that you, know, you had to be a landowner and white to vote. We, uh, we, we voted that we could put, uh, you know, the president was fine, you know, putting Japanese people in internment camps. We voted all types of horrible things in. It doesn't mean just because two parties vote that it makes it okay. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even within the same parties, they changed the vote. Yes, like, absolutely. We saw that with the Democratic Party this year with the uh, debates. No, I love that part, right? So Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard, who, whether you like them or not, were absolutely outsiders within the Democratic Party, right? So when the outsiders within the Democratic Party say, we would like you to change the rules so that we can make the debate stage, they go, no, sorry, this is how the rules work. The rules are the rules and we can't change them. Sorry, outsiders. Then here comes Bloomberg. Also, in theory, an outsider. I mean, he's an established guy, but also in theory, an outsider. But he has tons of money. He says, can we change the rules? And they go, oh, you've been supporting our insiders literally for years. Yes, we can change the rules. So I know it feels bad, like they, they're beating us up, third party, but they beat each other up too, right? They, the establishment is the establishment. And the funny part is the Democratic Party, which is supposed to be a more progressive party, and, and in rhetoric, it absolutely is. In actual action, it isn't in that they have establishment candidates just like everyone else, right? And Trump, of course, broke the establishment in the Republican Party, but now he's become establishment. So now he shuts everybody down. So now they can't even have you know, primaries in the Republican Party. So both parties, in their own way, fall back to being establishment whenever they can. And one of the reasons why Trump won, there are obviously many of them, but one of them is because there were so many establishment candidates that popped up around him that they all split the vote for him during, during, the, uh, during the campaign season, during the primary. So the problem is both parties say that they are rebellious parties, or they're different, or they're going to change. Neither of them actually is. Yeah, I mean, that's the point I try and make every time someone brings up how did Trump win, and... The fact is, people, there were tons of people who voted for him, mm -hmm. not because they liked him, just because he wasn't, you know, a politician. Well, I got to tell you the funny part, there's some data on that. And, and, and you can do some, if anybody's listening, got cares about this kind of data, you can go back and do some Google searching. There was some stats from polling that showed a big chunk of Bernie bros in 2016, people who were supporting Bernie Sanders, uh, give or take 20 to 30% of them, when the election time came, after the Democrats got rid of Bernie, actually voted Trump. Now you would say, how could someone vote Bernie and Trump? These are two you know, very opposite people in their policies, I'm sorry, at least in their rhetoric. They're very different in their rhetoric, right, for sure. And the reason is many of the people who were supporting Bernie didn't actually know his policies. They just knew they felt they leaned left. So they thought Democrat Party was their way. So and they didn't like Hillary. They thought that she was the establishment candidate. So Bernie seemed like the rebel in 2016. Right. So they went for the rebel. Right. They said, Bernie bros, the rebel. So once they lost that rebel, they just, you know what? Let's find the other rebel. And Trump was clearly the Republican rebel. So they just went from rebel to rebel. They first went to Bernie because they leaned left, but they weren't really strong left. They leaned that way. They went where the leanings were. 
How do I know this? From that data, plus when I ran for office in 2018, my media chief was a former Bernie bro. He actually ran Veterans for Bernie. So wow. he came to me because I was the rebel in New York. So these are people who are looking for an anti-establishment rebel candidate. And that's been true for a long time. I think you see some of that prior to Obama, but you definitely see Obama as one of them, right? Obama was, again, for the Democratic Party, he was a rebel in 2008, right? He was not Hillary, Hillary was the establishment. And in theory, if you look at just, you know, just who was more qualified, more experienced, Democratic primary, if you're a Democrat, you probably should have, with in theory, voted for Hillary. But you didn't if you were a Democrat because you wanted a rebel, right? So you voted for, uh, you voted for Obama. Obama wins in, tw in, tw in 2008. And now 2016, again, we've got, you know, we've got Trump, a rebel. People are looking for a rebel. They've been looking for a long time. Someone, I shouldn't say rebel. Maybe that, maybe that word's the wrong word. They're looking for anti-establishment. Maybe that's a better word. We've been looking for it for a long time because we do know something at a, at a gut level. Uh, what's, what's happening now isn't working. That we're getting at a gut level. But remember, when people are afraid, people who are afraid make bad decisions in general. That's just a, a, a human nature thing. But when groups of people are afraid, they tend to cry either for a strong man or for socialism or both. The problem is, those are two different roads, but they both end the same spot, oligarchy and or dictatorship. And we're on our way there right now. If you lean left, you're yelling, Bernie socialism or Biden's my guy, strong man. If you lean right, Trump is my strong man. And that's where we are now. My hope is that we can get around this soon. And maybe this, you know, this COVID virus crisis, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm unsure of this, but I'm hoping that it will change and get people to think differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what's going to come out of this. This whole thing, you know, in New York, I'm in New Jersey, so uh, I, you know, it's a lot of what I hear is New York. Yep. And I'm in northern New Jersey, so that's basically New York. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yes, you're a lot of New York, absolutely. <laughs> So, and all I hear on TV is how Andrew Cuomo wants to centralize the hospitals and yep. centralize all these things. And it's just, I just can't help but think about how when the government's introduced other things before, like the income tax and many other things that were supposed to be temporary have just, you know, gained a place, gained a foothold in the system yep. and has never went away. Constantly, right? When, when they decide to take away our freedoms, Patriot Act, insert thing here, right? Uh, know your customer laws, all those types of things, they never go away, right? But when they, you know, uh, remove something for a second for a crisis, those go away. So they go right back to their laws. I completely agree. If you look at it, here's a common problem. There's some kind of worry or issue that something's bad. Okay, great. Let's make a law so that we can stop that. Awesome. Now the bad people don't do that thing anymore, but the law stays. So the bad people do something else that's just as bad. Oh, 
So let's make another law to stop that. The example I'll give is, look at the know your customer laws. The idea for know your customer's laws, those you don't know is, you know, we gotta stop the terrorists, right, from, um, you know, financing their terror. So we have to have know your customer laws so that we can stop that. Well, two things. One, if the person's a known terrorist, they don't care, right? They don't care if they get caught, so what? But if they're not a known terrorist, what do they do? They stop using regular banks or find other ways of doing things, or use cryptocurrency, in which case now they're being financed someplace else. So the idea of know your customer laws to stop terrorism hasn't stopped terrorism. But man, is it make it hard for you to open up a goddamn account, doesn't it? Man, it makes it difficult for you to do anything, and boy, does it make the bank gather a whole bunch of data on you, and you're not a bad guy or gal. Yet there's still terrorism, and now terrorists do something else. And here's the worst part, UBS, the big bank, is literally, and again, do your homework if you want to, literally uh, money laundering for drug cartels. They've done it twice already, they've been caught. So these types of laws should go away. Why do we require know your customer laws? I don't know, because they want to keep tabs on us for no reason whatsoever. Why do you think so many people are not are, are actually trying to go away from banks now? Because of that, right? So now the government has more control over banks. People who are caught in a bad situation like um, uh, court and family court, um, court uh, with uh, uh, people who, owe, who they uh, say owe money, bad uh, credit. Now the banks start seizing their money. Well, why do you think so many people don't trust banks? Particularly poorer people, people from other countries. They keep, they're keeping cash now. This is, this is just one example of multiple types of laws. The Patriot Act, right? Um, how about now going on uh, the TSA? The TSA doesn't do anything except make travel hard. That's all it does. It doesn't in any way, shape, or form keep us safer or happier in any way, shape, or form. Do you think someone's going to actually do a 9-11 attack now? Of course not. Let's say, for example, someone literally gets on a plane, pulls out a box cutter, Three people get up and say, we're taking this plane and we're going to go to whatever, uh, you know, Mo um, um, Monaco, where we're going to go. You insert cool, small country. We're going to go there. We're, we're taking over the plane. What would happen to those people? Those people would be beaten to death. There is no way that people on that plane, knowing 9-11, would allow this to happen. They would physically beat those people to death. 9-11 is not going to happen in my lifetime because the people on the plane wouldn't accept it. I'm not saying we should have no security. I'm saying the TSA is security theater and is a waste of time and money, makes us feel good, but takes more of our freedoms away, makes us accustomed to being in, in a surveillance state. And with that in mind, this makes us accustomed to being locked in our own homes. We are becoming more and more accustomed to being controlled by government again and again and again. Now it seems normal. We actually have people who are happy that we're locked down, who are calling the government, calling the cops, for people who aren't locked down. We're telling on ourselves, like the East German Stasi, right? It is in, insanely bad what we're doing. If you've ever watched the movie or read the book, 1984, you remember, I think the character's name is Parsons. I, I may be wrong on this, but I think the character's name is Parsons. It's the character who loves the state so much that even when the state has arrested him and is beating him, he's like, but I'm loyal. But no, no, no. What did I do wrong? Oh, that did it wrong. I'm so sorry. I did the wrong thing. And he still loves the state even when being beaten. We are becoming that person. It's, we're becoming um, almost like we're helpless. We're becoming more childlike. And I'm hoping that we can stop that. Yeah. I mean, there is, you know, we this whole thing is kind of weird with the COVID stuff because 
to me, the quickest way to end it would be for everyone to stay home. Sure. You know, because of the two-week gestation period and how you could be walking around with it for two weeks. And then, so the really, theoretically, if everyone stayed home, in two weeks it would be gone. But that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have people that are going outside and you can't shut down everything because you still need hospitals. You still need uh, supermarkets to distribute food. You know, so it's just never going to happen. And keeping people who... What really should happen is what happens with the flu. People who are older or people who have compromised immune systems stay home voluntarily until the situation's over. Well, I think, yeah, right? The, 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 issue, the, the issue that I see is it, it didn't have to be so aggressive and it actually should have been a little bit I don't know. It, it should have been actually, it should have been dealt with earlier. And I've mentioned this in, in, in a few other podcasts I've been on and I can't stop mentioning this. The biggest issue is we waited too long. That's the biggest issue, yeah. right? In addition, it didn't have to be so aggressive in a perfect world. If we can go back and have hindsight. And actually I was talking about this months ago. As soon as the virus crossed out of China and into South Korea, whoever was in charge, whether it was the president or the governor, whatever the case may be, if, if, if I'm governor of New York or the, or the president, whatever the case may be, the first thing I start saying is, hey, local people, I need your help. I need your help. I get the CDC guidelines, which are things like masks, staying at home, social distancing, all those things, hand sanitizers, whatever the CDC had at that point. And I go, hey, here's the information, guys. I need to start right now. Hey, um, local uh, VFWs, uh, local Knights of Columbus, local churches, uh, local civic groups, I'm going to right now suspend all Department of Building uh, um, codes so that you can set up your basements if required or your, or your pews or your open areas so that you can have cots there. Cots either, depending upon your community, for people who need to go to work and have people at risk at home so they can sleep here instead of sleeping at home and we can have food donated here and delivered here so that we can have them that so you can, your, your people you care about can quarantine at home. Or if you have a world where you can't have them go away, maybe you have kids or something like that where your kids would be home, you can have your, your people who are at risk come here instead. So we can either, it can either be a place for those who uh, have quarantine people at home or it can become a quarantine place and we can have masks here, we can have hand sanitizer here, and even a medical personnel can be here and check in. So if someone's uh, in trouble, we can help them out. We can even have a ventilator available, whatever the case may be. That's step one, but I'm still not done. I'm also going to suspend all distilling rules so you can actually make hand sanitizer, right? What our governor did was he made, uh, he had prisoners make it instead, and now people couldn't make their own hand sanitizer, and not just that, uh, uh, people couldn't sell it. So we hurt both business and local communities and used prison labor, all combined, bad, bad, and bad. I would have said, stop making it right now. I w- I'm not done. I would have said, guys, if you want to start making masks, here's the DIY kits that come over. We can start using those now and move on and move on and move on. 
Now, in reality, most people would not have started that at all. Some would have, though. Why? Because there's always early adopters. Some companies would have started making hand sanitizer and or masks and, uh, or, and or ventilators because I also would have said, 3D printing? Don't worry. I'm not going to prosecute anybody who's a 3D printer. I don't care what the law is as long as they're making ventilators. Go ahead. No prosecution whatsoever. So at that point, all of a sudden, people will start moving. Only a few. But as a few begin moving, what happens is they'll start making things cool. I'm not making this up. They'll make like cool masks with the Yankees on it or with the Joker on it or something like that. That will begin to happen. When that begins to happen early on, it begins to change our culture. Culturally, East Asia, simply because they've had SARS and the, and the bird flu and all these things, wearing a mask in public in most countries in East Asia, Singapore, uh, South Korea, Japan, China, is much more socially acceptable. People do it much, much more than they do here. It's a bit awkward socially for us here. So if you start that making it cool and fashionable, people would have just started doing it normally. When I start talking about the social distancing, most people wouldn't do it, but savvy businesses would start thinking about it right away. So now all of a sudden people start doing it. Now it moves to America. By that time, people go, oh my God, this is real. What happens? The people who began the process of the adopters would now have everyone else jump on board. I wouldn't have had to order anybody to do anything. They would have gone on their own. They would have started making it. How do I know that? They're doing it now, but two or three months later. It happened in South Korea. There's no requirement to order if, you're, if the government does something which is called lead, right? Leaders should not say, don't do anything. I got you covered. Leaders are supposed to say, guys, I need you now. Let me point you in the right direction. I would like our government to be much more like a fire department, which is when you need me, call, I'm there. Until you need me, hey, guys, here are some cool tips on how to be safe. Right. That's what the fire department does. I want the government to be much more like that. And in this case, we should have led. I also don't mind the government being a centralized hub of information. It's a common way we think about government. Most people feel comfortable that way. So why can't the government be a centralized hub for information? But it also promotes and assists local people doing the right thing. Now, the response is the same always. But Larry, local people don't know any better. They'll make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. We're humans. Humans are imperfect. We make errors. But when the governor makes a mistake, the entire state pays. When the president makes a mistake, the entire country pays. When a county makes a mistake, that county pays. And while that's bad, I don't want that county to pay. At least if only that county or counties is paying, the other counties can come and help them, show them how they did it right. This is the entire concept of decentralization. That's what should have happened in the beginning. We've had a much better response. We'd have less people dead. We would have to shut things down. How do I know that? Because businesses now are already coming up with ways to survive in this environment. You're finding businesses now with you know, six foot rules, handing out masks, not letting you in unless you have gloves, uh, making all the aisles only one way, plexiglass when you pay, all types of things. We would have created that and figured that out early on so we could have kept our businesses open. But we didn't do that. Instead, we waited. And the biggest reason why we waited, and it's going to sound horrible, but it's true still, is that the elites in this country knew that there was going to be some type of crash. The economy was a bubble. It was a debt bubble. It's been a debt bubble since 2008. It's obvious how bad it was. We've been pumping money into the economy since Obama. And Trump hasn't stopped. He's been pumping money into our economy. So it's a big debt bubble is all it is. So it had to pop eventually. Most savvy people thought it was going to pop after the election because most presidents 
pump money into their economies during election years to make sure that it doesn't pop during the election year. Usually it pops right after the election. So that was, that was what people believed. When the virus came, it caught the elites off guard. So they had to prepare for it. They had to get liquid so they could buy things. They had to cash out. If you remember, there was a story recently, um, a month or two ago, about how congressmen uh, sold, got liquid about three or four months ago because they saw it coming, right? The elites knew already. So they became liquid. And that's when Trump and Cuomo, when Cuomo was saying nothing, my governor was saying nothing, and Trump was like, oh, don't worry. Fauci was like, don't worry about it. That's when everyone was setting up to get cash. Now they have cash. Now the world's ending. The market begins to crash. Assets happen. Shut the country down. Now, when these things happen, the bubbles happen. It was the, the bubble of uh, the dot-com bubble in 2000. Then there was the real estate bubble in 2008, 2009. And now this one, a debt bubble. Every time that happens, the people who are hurt the worst are the working poor and middle class. The very poor are hurt too, but they're always hurting, right? So the working poor, we should, oh, I'm sorry. The very poor, we should always be worried about, right? Because they're very poor. But they're, they have less, this is going to sound horrible, but just to be clear on, on clarity, they have less, less place to fall, right? They have less room to fall. Right. So they're already hurt, but we should always, always worry about them. The people who hurt the worst are the working poor and the middle class because they can't pay their bills. So they now have to sell their assets so they can pay their bills. Well, who can buy their assets? The wealthy who are now liquid. And that is how the wealth gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is because of these bubbles that keep getting, getting created and popped. And the biggest reason for that, of course, is the Fed. The Fed is the biggest reason for that. There are other reasons, government in, in, in intervention, but the biggest chunk is the Fed. Did I go too long on you, brother? No. <laughs> Uh, that was good. I mean, it was informative and I think people need to hear what's actually happening and not what the news, I think too many people rely on the news for all their information and I do think the media has played a big role in blowing this whole thing a little out of proportion and making a much, I think, making people panic. Yes, absolutely. You can see it. There's literally on CNN, there's a body count. Yeah. CNN has a body count. Come on, what are we at? It's horrible, but yes, you're totally correct. And I mean... My dad's an anesthesiologist, and mm -hmm. so he's aware of the doctor, the medical stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. And he's already said they've started picking and choosing who's viable. Yes. And that's what they do in socialist medicine countries. Absolutely. Right. And so, look, they, they, not just who's viable to live, but even if you're living, they decided who's essential and not. So we're not working. Are we all non-essential? I mean, literally, we are not. Trump had his deplorables. Right? Bernie had his bros. Well, I guess we have our non-essentials. Right. Is that yeah. who we are? So if you're not working, the government says you're not essential. How horrible is that? And if you get in trouble and you go into the, uh, the hospital, they decide who's viable or not. It's a terrible place for us to be in. Yeah, it's just, I mean, everything, you know, I mean, what do you, are you aware of the 
stuff that's going on on Twitter with like um, Bill Pulte. And, no so he's are you familiar with him not at all so he's i i don't know where he's made his money but he has a lot of money i'm not sure how much but Good he's for him <laughs> yeah well his whole thing even before this he started twitter philanthropy okay so uh, and he's been doing it for a while. I've seen it, but he's ramped it up now where right. he gives random people money. If they, they say, like, I need to buy groceries, he'll give uh-huh. them money. Nice. Yeah, he does. I mean, I'm not sure. He verifies a little, but... I mean, how much verification can you do? Mm -hmm. But he started, I forget. So with this whole situation, he's now has a, uh, he started a website where he's called on a lot of other people who are wealthy to help other people out and people can apply on the website and say what they need and I guess why they need it and if they're if they were laid off or so I think this the one silver lining may be out of this whole thing may be that there's an increase in people just helping other people out. I do see that, my friend, absolutely. And I got to tell you, there were a lot of people who thought, and one of the reasons why we scream for government is because a lot of people think that the individual won't show up. And I think they did. I think the answer is they actually did show up, right? The idea that, well, you know, people won't help, they won't do this, they won't do that. They did, right? When the problem when you start adding so much government, which we've done for a long time, as you add government, you by default remove community. And you have some of the, um, some of the more, more um, stronger libertarians who will say, we got to just cut government out, cut government out. The problem is we've already destroyed our communities. So you kind of have to add community first so that when you remove government, there's community there to support people, right? Otherwise, there's no support structure. People get scared. They beg for government back. Things actually can become worse. I'm hoping that this, and this is what I was talking about earlier about the hope that I have, is showing that community can work, that people will step up, that we can do this kind of stuff. If we start to add community, now we can remove government. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure about the second part of that. Just because of everything that, I mean, it seems that any time you try and remove government, it, you know, people say we need that. But I agree. I mean, hopefully that would be the one silver lining that could come out of this is people say, well, we could do that. Yes. We don't need you to do that. Oh, I, I hope so, brother. That's, this is what I'm hoping is going to happen. I'm with you. I hope that is our answer, right? 
if that can happen, now we're rocking and rolling. Right now we're rocking and rolling if that can happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it still worries me a little that, you know, that even after the 2016 election, they're still pushing the establishment on the people. Oh, yes. So you're still seeing, like, Biden in the lead. Mm-hmm. When clearly, even though I think a lot of people have left the Bernie movement, because I think a lot of, like, so I came into the Liberty Movement in uh, 2016, around the election. Okay. And I was supporting Bernie also because sure. I wanted uh, I didn't like the establishment. I had never voted before, you know, because I just never saw a point. I get it. You you were not alone. Right. So, but then I quickly realized, but I always had like that thing where like, I knew his economics made no sense. Mm -hmm. But I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because of how the debates were set up and everything. And I always felt like, well, maybe if he uh, is, if he has time to explain what he's going to do, it'll make a little more sense. No, I think you're right. You're exactly what I was talking about. There were a lot of people who thought exactly what you did. I agree. And that that never happened. And (laughs) (laughs) now, uh, you know, now it's just like, well, he's a broken record. Yep. And uh, I think he's lost a lot of supporters, but I still think he uh, would easily be, well, I think he would, I think he would easily beat Biden without all this interference. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I just think that if people weren't fed stuff by the media, I think people would see Biden for who he is Mm, and be like an old... I mean, because Biden doesn't come across well at all. That's true. That's a valid point. So uh, just to see him in the lead is mind-blowing. Yeah, I, I think there's a, you know, it, the Democrats still want establishment, right? They, they think that America is done with the rebel, right? That's what they believe. So they push an establishment guy again. And, you know, we'll find out. It doesn't, it, you know, I think most of this isn't about how good or how bad Biden is. I think most of it will come down to, do the American people blame Trump for their problems this year or not? And I don't know the answer to that, right? If they do, Trump's going to lose. If they don't, Trump's going to win. I, it, I wish I had a better answer than that. Um, and it's kind of a cheesy answer, but because I don't have an answer, right? If, if Trump is believe, if, if the people believe this is Trump's fault that they're in trouble, they're not going to vote for him. They're either going to not show up, in which case Democratic base will show up and win, or they're going to vote anti-Trump, which is just Biden because he's not Trump. Hopefully they'll vote libertarian. That would be awesome. But we'll find out if they will or not. Or 
they're not going to blame Trump. And they're going to go, oh, no, no, this is the Democrats' fault or, or whomever, or no one's fault. It's just the virus's fault or the Chinese's fault. If they go that route, I think Trump's going to win. And I just don't know who's going to – I can't tell right now which side is going to win the day. It's just too early in my view. Yeah, I mean, I think the majority of the people who are going to blame Trump for this are people who would have never voted for Trump anyway. Well, if even if that's true, and it might be, um, even if that's true, if that if the, the the hardcore Trump supporters start to have doubt, now again, I don't know if this is true. I'm just saying if, then they may not show up at the polls, right? They won't be excited. People were excited to vote for Trump in 2016, right? They, they, he got the vote out. They were excited. If they're not excited this time, um, he might lose if they're not excited. If they're like, well, whatever, he didn't handle it well enough. I don't like Biden, but I don't like him, so I do nothing. People not showing up, you know, I'm sorry, your people, whether you're Democrat or Republican, not showing up is bad for you, all right? If you've noticed, again, I'll go back to Obama. I'm not anti-Obama any more than I'm anti-Trump. I'm anti all of them, right? So I will often bring right. back all of them back and forth. But if you look at the, the first term of Obama and Bush and before, before him Clinton, all of those presidents talked about a united America, right? Uh, Obama said there's not two Americas, there's one America. Uh, Bush was like, you know, I'm a united, not a divider. They all talked that rhetoric in an attempt to go across the aisle and keep all Americas together. By the time Obama was in his second um, 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 uh, term, he was like, whatever's Republicans, I'm about Democrats. And then Trump said, oh, you want division? Ha ha, Obama, hold my beer. And Trump doubled down on that. Trump was like, Democrats and liberals are evil, they're horrible, they're destroying our country. He, jumped, he, he doubled down with Obama. Obama was nothing compared to Trump when it came to division. So no, then that's what Trump did that, 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 that now. So it's all about getting your base out. If your base comes out, you win. And all I'm saying is, if Americans do not blame Trump, then his base will come out. If they do blame Trump, his base will stay home, and then he'll lose. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I still think Trump's, I mean, before all this, yeah, I thought Tulsi Gabbard was the only one who had a shot at beating Trump. Yes, uh, I agree with you. I think Tulsi, also Yang. Yang had a chance also. Yeah, I, I think, I just think that Yang didn't, I think Tulsi had a better shot. Yeah, primarily I because I think she drew a lot of people from all sides. I agree. Look, as Democrats go, and clearly I'm a libertarian, not a Democrat, but as Democrats go, um, Tulsi was the best one, right? Yeah. She's still Democrat, but as Democrats go, she was the best one in my view, right? So yeah, I thought she had a shot, you know, to to to, to take care of it. I agree. The reason why I say Yang is not because he had great policies, but because again, he was an outsider, right? Again, Yang and, and Gabbard are outsiders for their party. And they could, mo if they had been the nominee, either one of them, they would have motivated people to go to them just because they were rebels, right? The, the, right. the Democratic yeah. base is, is going to vote Democrat, regardless, right? Of course, the Democrats, I, I understand that. If you're a Democrat, you should do that, good for you. But 
if to get the other people out excited, someone like Gabbard or Yang would have gotten the, the non-people, the, the non-hardcore people to actually to get a vote. I completely agree. I think that was the best chance. But now, and again, I'm not saying Trump's going to lose. I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm not saying either. What I'm saying is, in my view, maybe other people are smarter than me and know something I don't know. I'm saying I think it's too early for us to, to say if he can win or not, because this virus does shake things up. It just shakes it up. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not as confident of what was going to happen, uh, that what's going to happen uh, now anymore. Right. And so just before we wrap this up, how much longer do you think this goes on? Um, I think we start to open up in June. Okay. In Actually, June. No, it's not, well, no, we'll begin to open up in May. We'll begin. We'll start to because we simply can't. People are going to start just going crazy. We'll start right. in May. I think we'll be really wrapping up in, in June. By July, I think we're, we're, we're back to whatever our new norm is. We're not going back to the norm. But whatever the new norm is, I think we'll be here by July. That's what I believe. By July, we will be in, in, in whatever our new norm is. New York City and some major cities are never going to go back to their glory anymore because so many people have realized they don't have to be in the city to work, to survive, to get things done. The commuters are going to go down. Some people aren't going to want to stay home. One of the bad things for, for many cities is this was already happening slowly. Now with the government lockdown, it's, it's completely supercharged the idea of why the hell am I commuting every day? Right. So with that in mind, a chunk of our population, whether that's 5% or 10%, I don't know, is simply not going to want to go back to work. They're not going to want the new norm. I mean, the old norm. So we're going to create the new norm, which is going to affect cities horribly because the glory of cities is that's where people congregate. That's the glory yeah. of cities. Yeah, I think I think more and more jobs are going to realize that you can pretty much do everything online. So why am I going? You know, why, why am I buying new clothes? Why am I getting on a subway? Why am I sitting in a a three hour bus ride? Why am I doing these things? Absolutely, I agree. Right. So all right, let's wrap it up there and. Uh, Thanks for coming on. This was cool. And um, just Thanks let everyone... Thanks for having me, my friend. I appreciate the, the time and energy you put into this. Thank you for having me on. This type of media, this is the media of the future. It's why I do so many of them. It's why I come on. Guys like you out there putting together basically the idea of citizen journalism, which is awesome, and, and getting other people's views and getting people to hear you and have a conversation that somebody cares about. Thank you for having me on. And by the way, if you want to have mine, you can come, you can, guys can listen to my show, The Sharp Way with Larry Sharp. It's The Sharp Way on Twitter, The Sharp Way on YouTube. It's a, The Sharp Way on Facebook. Please enjoy that. It's Larry Sharp with an E, and the E stands for entertaining. <laughs> Was that, uh, were you born that way? Was it born like, you know, entertainment? I know. Um, I, I said when I was running for office, and the E stands for be electable. <laughs> oh. So it changes. Face it does. <laughs> exactly right. All right. Well, so uh, where can, what's your uh, social media and stuff? As I mentioned, it's The Sharp Way uh, on YouTube. 
uh, on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and so please, when you have it, also the website, the sharp way, if you guys want to, I'm live almost every night, uh, Monday through Friday, usually around 7 PM. You can go to the events page to see it. I'll pop up live. Uh, also, um, you will see all my older shows. I either have, sometimes I have guests, but most times it's just me ranting. I'm doing it now from a, a studio here, uh, in my lockdown home. And often before I did it from the gas, uh, media studios. Oh, cool. So uh yeah so you guys know where to find me i'm on all uh platforms you can check out the website theunusefulidiots.com and uh yeah you can find all the information to support the show on there all the social media and that's it once again, thanks to Larry Sharp for coming on. This Thank was you for having me, brother. And uh, yeah, that's it. See you guys. Bye-bye.